0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is believe.
1: Episode two forty for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet Online. With NFL playoffs are here, we've got conference championship games this Sunday, and NBA season in full swing, NHL season in full swing. We've got the Australian Open going strong. Bet Online has you covered with all the up to second odds, news, and scores. Head to the website today and get in on the action. Remember to use promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. With that said, episode 244, the love
0: of the game. Let's get this work. I'll admit it, I'll admit it. <laughs> Watch your motherfucking song, boy. Get yeah, hurt, boy. Yeah, hurt. All here going on, motherf***er. That don't understand the concept of putting money first, boy. First. I'm about to hit you with the work, boy, work. I'm about to hit you with the work, boy work. I hate coming through something on that I know, ah, that's the worst, boy I'll admit, it, I'll admit it, I'll admit it, you haven't been to man for like a minute I told you that I'm in it for the long haul, oh, you can really get the business get I'll admit it, I'll admit it, it. roll the switches, hitting switches Got me feeling like a ball hog, pass it when I get. We are back, episode 240
1: for the love of the game on the Believe Podcast Network with yours truly. It is A.T.H. Aaron tobin back in the cut and coming to you from Miami, Florida on a Tuesday late afternoon. And let's just say I'm really happy that I waited because the NBA between last night and today popped off. There was tons of stuff happening. Joel Embiid's monster night, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Carl Anthony Towns' monster night that wasn't as monsterish. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Adrian Griffin is out as Milwaukee Bucks head coach, despite a thirty and thirteen record, second in the East. There's a lot to talk about, but we got to start with what happened in the NFL last weekend. And looking forward to the conference title games. Start in order: Texans. Ravens, Ravens, 34-10 over the Texans. Lamar Jackson only passed for like 150 yards, but ran for another 100. This game was tied at the half, but even still, you're just like, I don't know how the Texans are tied at the half in this game. I mean, it was a miracle that it was that close. They got a punt return touchdown. C.J. Stroud had moments of brilliance. We were just like, I'm not sure he can sustain this. The Baltimore defense, which – has been excellent, was truly, truly excellent in that game. Baltimore takes care of business. Congratulations to Lamar Jackson on getting his first home playoff win in his career. I know I say that a little tongue-in-cheek because I've been critical of Lamar. I also think that the quarterback position gets way too much maligned, gets too much credit. It's gotten to the point where it's just ridiculous the way we talk about football uh, with the quarterbacks. But, kudos to him he's been excellent Ravens march on to the conference title game and they are going to play the Kansas City Chiefs the Chiefs 27-24 win over the Buffalo Bills wide right with a minute and 34 left Bills another heartbreaking loss to the Chiefs now I, I know I just talked about how the quarterbacks are sometimes way too much maligned, get way too much credit. But what can you say about Patrick Mahomes? He was absolutely stellar. Two touchdown passes, 215 yards, just made big play after big play. I I think the Chiefs were averaging close to nine yards of play. This game, had they not fumbled on the one out of the back of the end zone, could have been a little bit more lopsided. And on the flip side, you know, people are going to want to get on Josh Allen. He didn't have a turnover in this game. I know turnovers have been a bugaboo of his. It just uh, another brutal loss. Another brutal loss for the Bills. And you could say, well, if the Bills kick that field goal, it goes through, it's 27-27. Mahomes has a minute 34 left on the clock. You're probably looking at him finding a way to, to kick a game-tying field goal. But – If you're Josh Allen, you just have to feel dejected because he was excellent in this game. I know what the stats say. Only 186 passing yards, one touchdown. I know it was only 4.8 yards a, a pass play. But if you look at some of these plays, like he threw an absolute missile at the end of the game to Stephon Diggs, who completely whiffed. He got hit just a little bit. I'm a a post route to Shakir. I know people are saying he had digs underneath, get you a little closer. Nonsense. Shakir was wide open. Great rush by Chris Jones, who's an all-world type player. Threw off the timing a little bit. That's a touchdown nine times out of ten. This happened to have been the one time out of ten that it wasn't. And just you, you feel bad for the Bills. You feel bad for the Bills. I know the Bills have had an up and down year, but the Bills don't really have a lot of problems. Yeah, their defense is getting old, but they don't have a lot of problems outside of, they can't beat Patrick Mahomes. And considering Patrick Mahomes has been a starter in this league for six years and has gone to the AFC title game six times, I would say they're not alone in that. Just a brutal loss for the Bills. and, And But yeah, I don't want to hear any Josh Allen slander today. Don't want to hear it. It's ridiculous. I mean, there were points in that game where I was watching these two guys, I'm just like, they play on a different level. Like, they're playing a different sport. And you could put Lamar in that category. I think he's earned that this year with the way he's played. I still don't think Lamar is the passer that those two guys are, but still, you know, Lamar's in that category. Joe Burr, when he's healthy, he's in that category. But other than that, like, that's it. That's the top-tier category and even still mahomes is kind of a step ahead of everybody else even the elites of the elites whether that's allen burrow or or lamar i mean mahomes is he's he's in a category unto itself you can already make a case that he's the second greatest quarterback of all time can you can easily make that case I mean, and the case is just going to be made stronger as he compiles statistics. I mean, it's absurd. It's absolutely absurd what he's doing. So they're going to face the Ravens in the AFC title game. On to the NFC. We had an interesting game. 49ers, 24, Packers, 21. The Niners actually had to come from behind to win this game. I know that's something that Kyle Shanahan historically has not been very good at but they got it done. Brock Purdy had an absolutely disgusting game. I know what the numbers show, 23 of 39, but those were quite deceiving. I mean, a lot of balls just hitting the turf before they even got close to the receiver. I know it was rainy. I know the ball was slick, but, like, that was that was not a great display. So for anybody who's been a Brock Purdy hater – This was a perfect game for you. If you're more of a Brock Purdy supporter than I am, he did engineer a comeback to win a playoff game, to advance the NFC title game, a game that he's now been in two straight years. You have still a great case to say that he's a good quarterback. I mean, Debo Samuel went out, took away one of his weapons, but still he made things happen. Uh, For those who want to be Brock Purdy haters, Like, you just can't have it both ways. You can't trash Josh Allen for not winning the games and then not give Brock Purdy credit for winning the games, right? Uh, Even if the numbers were bad. And again, the performance was not very good. But he did engineer the comeback. He did get it done. You know, the, the goal is to win games, and he's in the NFC title game again for the second straight year and they probably would have won last year had he not destroyed his elbow in that game but yeah so the Niners are back in the NFC title game they're going to be playing the Detroit Lions which is just awesome just awesome but one quick thing before we get to the Lions and Tampa Bay Buccaneers Packers must be kicking themselves they had chances in this game Jordan Love looks like the future is really bright I know he had the one, the boneheaded pick at the end, but future's bright for the Green Bay Packers. The fact that they turned their season around and got to this point, you have to feel good if you're a Packers fan going forward. Last but not least, we've got the Lions 31, Buccaneers 23. The Lions are in the NFC title game, and it's just awesome. you got to feel so happy for the city of Detroit. I am going to be lucky enough to have a first-time guest who's a Detroit Lions fan who I can't even imagine what level of cloud nine he's been on. So I can't wait to talk to him. But, yeah, this game was a really entertaining game. Really, really entertaining game. At the end of the first half when it was 17-10, the Lions had the ball. You thought that maybe they'd be able to push it to two scores before the half. They get a stop, Tampa Bay. Baker, who was – Really, really good in this game. I mean, 349 yards, three TDs. I know he did throw two interceptions, but still, he was really excellent. Getting them down the field to score a touchdown at the end of the first half, that was big-time stuff. Mike Evans made big-time plays. Just a great, great game from him. But too much Lions. And for all the noobs who are complaining about Tampa Bay going for two, When they were down 14 and they cut it to eight, like that's the statistical play because if they don't get it, they could just go for it again. And it's a 50-50 coin flip considering they moved the extra point kick back a bunch of yards. It definitely makes sense. I don't understand why everybody is up in arms about that decision, especially since they were moving the ball. It's not like their offense was struggling and they finally got in the end zone. So, yeah, but you got to feel great for the city of Detroit. You got to feel great for Jared Goff. I've always been a Jared Goff defender. He's been on fire. 30 of 43, 287 yards, two TDs, no interceptions, just a clean game. And it sets it up for two fun games in the conference championship round. We'll start with the AFC because that's the game that's on first. Chiefs going to Baltimore. The Ravens are favored by three and a half right now. I'm going with the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is nine and one or something like that as an underdog. I'm never betting against that guy in the playoffs. Never, ever. Like, it's not worth it. I know the Ravens have been arguably the best team in the last month. Well, I don't even think that's arguable. They have been. They've been the most complete team up until this point for the last four or five weeks. I'm not betting against Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to take Kansas City plus three and a half. And as for the NFC title game, San Francisco's a seven-point favorite over the Lions. I'm going to roll with the Lions. I think the Lions can keep it close. I think San Francisco's ultimately going to win. But I'm going to take the Lions plus seven. And I've been on an absolute heater in picks against the spread. I'm eight and two this postseason. So take that for what it's worth. Okay, on to the NBA where last night we had a couple of amazing performances Joel Embiid against the San Antonio Spurs had 70 points 15 rebounds in a big time win i mean you just felt bad for Victor Wembanyama he's slight of build as it is and Joel Embiid who's turned into not just one of the best shooters for a big man but one of the best shooters in in the NBA Guard, forward, center, you name it. Like, you watched the highlights last night. His pull-ups off the bounce in the mid-range were ridiculous. His handle for a big man is ridiculous. Like, he's one of the best scorers in NBA history at this point. I know he hasn't produced as well in the playoffs, and we'll see this year when he doesn't have that anchor James Harden Uh, saddling him down, which he generally does, or, you know, no more Ben Simmons holding him back. We'll see what happens this postseason. But Joel Embiid is just awesome. He's just awesome. And I know what the detractors are going to say, but, like, watch last night, and he's gotten better from last year. I know people are going to poo-poo his MVP last year. He's better this year, has a great chance of going back-to-back in terms of MVPs, assuming he plays enough games. What a performance, an absolutely masterful performance. And then Carl anthony Towns, who normally would lead this segment, if he scores 62 points, I think he hit his first eight threes, which was crazy. But what happened in that game? The Timberwolves blew a big lead to the lowly Charlotte Hornets. Towns got pulled late by his coach, And then after they lost, Chris Finch gets on the podium and rips into the team and rips into Carl Anthony Towns for saying how they disrespected the game. It's just a weird, weird, weird game. Like, if you have a player score 62 points as unique in the way that he did it, like, you would think you'd win that game handily, but – For some reason, Carl Anthony Towns just can't pull it all together. Even like on his best night, there's still something missing. And I know the Wolves have been the best team in the Western Conference, but I feel better about the Oklahoma City Thunder in terms of a title contender coming out of the Western Conference than them. I feel better about the Denver Nuggets, obviously. And we'll see about the Clippers. Not really because I still don't want to be in bed with James Harden come May and June. But still, the Wolves are just – it's a little weird. And, and the Carl Anthony Towns thing is a little weird. I can't believe what I heard out of Chris Finch last night at the postgame. But that's what happens when you blow a big lead to a bad team when your bet, your player who's got 62 points is – truly is really trying to go for it and get 70 and it just ended up resulting in a loss. Just a weird weird night. But the big story in the NBA is the Bucks firing head coach Adrian Griffin despite a 30 and 13 record. This is a lot like David Blatt, the David Blatt situation with the Cavs. You kind of just knew it wasn't it despite the record. The defense, we've chronicled it on this show, a lot of different, you know, people talking about the NBA talk about how Milwaukee should not be this bad defensively given their personnel. I know they lost Drew Holiday and brought in Damian Lillard. That's not going to upgrade your defense, but still shouldn't be this bad. And let's face it, it got off on the wrong foot when his lead assistant, Terry Stotts, quit because apparently Adrian Griffin was a pain in the ass to work with. And if you're a pain in the ass to work with and the results – despite the record and not looking great. Can't be surprised. You know, the writing was on the wall with this. And if you're Adrian Griffin, I know you're a first-time head coach. You probably didn't handle yourself the best way you could. But let's face it, this wasn't the job for him. Okay? It wasn't. It's hard being a first-time coach with a team that has championship expectations championship or bust expectations as the bucks do ask Joe Missoula who got a ton of shit thrown at him last year and sometimes rightfully so for the Boston Celtics ask him how difficult it was and he wasn't a pain in the butt to work with that's why he survived because he was generally you know liked by the players and liked by the organization Griffin clearly wasn't, and you saw that early on. So we'll see where they go from here. I know the hot name right now being thrown out is Doc Rivers. He's got the cachet. He's got the pedigree. I've been critical of Doc Rivers in the past. I think he's been a little bit overrated as a coach. I mean, no other coach has blown more 3-1 playoff leads than Doc Rivers. Doc Rivers has always had super talented teams that somehow come up small in the playoffs. But for this particular group, given where they are, given what the expectations are, and one thing that Doc Rivers is good at is getting the respect of stars. Doc Rivers is an upgrade over Adrian Griffin. He is. As limited as he may be, yeah, the Bucs should have hired Nick Nurse in the offseason. Yes, They went with Adrian Griffin. Fine, it didn't work. You pull the plug sooner rather than later so you can salvage a season. I know they are second in the East, but they're still trying to salvage a season where it's championship-robust expectations. Doc Rivers, as limited as he may be, as flawed as he may be, is an upgrade. And that's the best you can hope for right now if you're the Milwaukee Bucks. Anyway, with that being said, we've got a couple of guests on. We're going to talk about The Detroit Lions with a first-time guest I'm excited to talk to. I'm sure he's on cloud Mount. I can't wait to talk to him. And then we're going to talk about the Miami Heat, who made a trade for Terry Rozier for a first-round pick and Kyle Lowry. I absolutely love that trade for them. The Heat, I said it last episode, are probably the team I fear the most in the East. I think they're just the most dangerous. We'll see what happens with the coaching search for the Milwaukee Bucks. But I fear this Heat team – I did before the trade. I do now. We'll get to him in just a matter of moments. So I mentioned in the monologue, I am very excited to have a first-time guest. Somebody who was mentioned in last week's episode got a shout-out. Somebody who's also a member of this goofy fantasy league that nobody cares about your fantasy team, but whatever, he's back. Lions fan extraordinaire, Mr. Ben Merlin. Ben, how are we doing, bud?
2: Doing better than I've ever been, honestly, and, and we're going to talk about that soon.
1: We're going to jump right into it because this stretch for for Lions fans and Lions football is maybe the greatest in their history since the nineteen fifties. Started with Barry Sanders having a documentary released about him on Amazon Prime, which is awesome because Barry Sanders may have the best highlight tape in the history of the National Football League, and the Lions have won two home games. Two home playoff games, and they are in the NFC title game for, I think, the first time since 1957. Is that correct? That's correct. So how are you feeling? Like, Like, just describe your emotional state right now, because Detroit hasn't had it great. The Detroit Pistons have been largely awful for the better part of the last couple of years. The Lions are a tortured franchise and a tortured fan base, but right now this is awesome. So, how you feeling? Just describe it.
2: Uh, I've never felt this kind of excitement for football in my entire life, and um, you know, honestly, it really started with the first game of the season, which might be a foreshadowing of a Super Bowl matchup potentially. But I was lucky enough, and I did the pilgrimage to Kansas City. And again, keep in mind what how. We ended last season, right? We spoiled the Packers' dreams of making the playoffs. And it wasn't even for anything we needed to play for. We were out of it. So we went into this game, and I traveled there thinking, this could be anything. It could be another lousy Detroit season. It could be another disappointment. And I even said, whenever we have that expectation, that's usually when we find ways to epically fail. And it's
1: a first cousin of a Cleveland Browns fan. So
2: yeah, no, sing. it's us, it's the Browns. I mean, Jaguars have had a little more sex, success in their very short period, but I'd say they're also very bad all the time. But, um, the Jets. yeah, Jets too, right, Um, in football specifically. But, you know, I went to this game, and I went with a couple of my closest friends, childhood friends, Detroiters. We were lucky enough to get, like, actually sweet access. I knew a guy, I'm not going to mention names, but that – set the tone. And I think that was when I realized this might be a different season than normal, because this is a game that I had highest hopes for them being competitive into the fourth quarter. Right. And when Brian Branch picked off that, I don't know, it wasn't an errant throw, but when he made that first pick and ran it to the house, I've never seen that as a Lions fan. And I was there to witness it in person. I was, I lost my voice. I got sick a couple days later just because of all the emotion I poured out. Walking out after a win at Arrowhead, I was like, this is a different season and I can get behind this team and not have the same kind of worry that I did in the past that we may lose by a career, you know, historic field goal that doinks off the lower bar, you know, or we may lose to a bad call by a ref, you know. But it was like, this is different. And that's when I really was like, this season's going to be exciting.
1: I just want the listeners to know like Ben is a loyal Lions fan. Like we're talking every Thanksgiving him and his crew do a great tailgate. Like I see the pictures, I see the videos like doesn't matter if they're like 1 and 15. He's he and his crew are are out there doing it. But yeah, I mean last year they started out what was it 1 and 6. And they finished 9-8, and eight, knocked the Packers out of the playoffs. And you're just like, they had all the buzz of that team that was going to take the next step. And, you know, the betting markets were, they were the, finally the favorite to win so, the NFC North. So I'll pause there
2: because that was your, and everybody who's not a Lions fan perspective, it's like, there's buzz, there's excitement. They're the betting favorite. All of us Lions fans were like, should we put our heart into this and get hurt again? Right. Yeah. That, that was the honest conversation. And, and like I said, it took that first game at Arrowhead and, and that beat all odds and all our expectations that I think any Lions fan had going into that game.
1: And yeah, I, and I, I love this team because for some reason i become like a little bit of a Jared Goff truther where I'm just like, the guy gets, gets ragged on all the time. We're going to get to Goff in a second, but the yeah. guy got ragged on all the time in Los Angeles and yeah, he was traded for Stafford and, and they won, they won the Super Bowl after they traded him. But I was like, they got there with him. Like he's not terrible. Like in a league where quarterback plays not great, like you can't tell me that they're legitimately 10 guys better than the guy, you know, right now. And Okay, so so the Lions win that game in Arrowhead. By the way, I think I bet the Lions like it was like plus six and a half. Like I yeah. actually just I just loved it. I was just like, I think this team has something. And I know people love to clown on Dan Campbell because he's a meathead and whatever. And he's Knee not a like new wave coach who, you know, former player who's talking about biting kneecaps and getting a little crazy, and people hated the hire, but he's taken to that city and just, you know, galvanize the city. So it's just, it's so much as an outsider, right? Like it's so much fun to watch a team that has been as downtrodden as the Lions have been to have this come up. Like I'm enjoying the ride. I I can't get enough
2: of this team. Yeah. I mean, keep in mind the best Lions team I had before this in my, you know, in my lifetime, for sure in my adult life was when Stafford, you know, got him to the playoffs and we got crushed by um, Drew Brees uh, on the road in the wild card game. But like even that, that was like Nick Fairley, Sue, you know, Jim Schwartz was leading that team like right before we got called. Well, we were like, I'm up swing there. And as good as we were, we were still called the cardiac cats because. Going into the fourth quarter, we were down by two plus scores. Every one of those fucking games. Oh, I don't know if I can
1: swear on this. Sorry, but you, we let it fly. It's all good. Okay, um, the, the guys at Bleed Podcast Network don't don't mind the little uh, awesome little
0: French. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, that's that's
2: what I lived. Through. That was the best of times. Was when we were called the Comeback Kids, the Cardiac Cats, and it was like they were never a dominant team. We lost by multiple scores in a wild card game that year. So. You know, to to say that this is different is, is a whole nother vibe. I mean, different is saying something. I don't know what I'm feeling. I don't know this experience. People are calling me, not just you, folks from my history of just knowing me as a Lions fan. And it's like, they know what I've been through. My dad who's not even a Lions fan. He is an anti-sport fan. Okay. Um, which is crazy how much I'm a fan and he's not, um, but he even said to me, "He's like, didn't you tell me all those years ago when I asked why you put yourself through this, that you could say one
1: day you were there through it all?" And I was like, "That's today. We're yeah, there, baby. Right. We're there." So you're yeah. like the walking embodiment of the um, of the meme from the scene of uh, Talladega Nights, where where Will Ferrell's character is like, "I don't really know what to do with my hands right now. Like, it's uh, it's fantastic. I love every second of it."
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I know this is a podcast, but like just a jaw drop face, eyes wide open, like laser focused. Since the end of the chiefs game, that's like, I was just like, I can't believe what I just witnessed. Like, is this going to keep going? And it's, it's really been like that all season. So.
1: Who would you say is, you know, if you had to allocate percentages in terms of the turnaround of the team, right? GM coach Goff playing well, like how would you, um, you know, divvy up the pie?
2: Whew. I mean, it, it all starts at the top, you know, and, and we know that because we've lived through the Matt Millen era of quite literally seven years of dud picks in the first round, right? No, one's going to win like that. You know, Brad Holmes, we brought him in because he has an eye for the draft. And that was what he said. He wanted to build around. He wanted to build and keep things in house build a wall around what we're building and keep things internal. And, and I mean, that's what they created in hiring the coach. So, I mean, it starts with Brad Holmes, but obviously he's not on the field. So the trade got for Stafford got us incredible picks. And those picks are what you're seeing on the field, the product of that thoughtfulness. So, yeah. you know, drafting Charles Rogers and, Mike Williams, not the one you know today and love, but right. the old Mike Williams that lasted two seasons. You know, all these first-rounders, high first-rounders that were failures, bad trades, bad contracts, aged-out veterans that we saw through a multitude of GM-ships. So back to your question, Brad Holmes It has to start with him. So I'd give him probably 25% of the credit, and right? He,
1: and he crushed the draft. Crushed this it. Year. I mean, they traded back – uh, to take Jameer Gibbs, they got more draft capital that way. That was called into question because the whole running back in the first round thing. But that guy looks like he's awesome. They yeah. got Sam Laporta, who, if you had to do a redraft, goes early in the first round. He's awesome. The Panay Sewell pick a couple of years ago was great. Like, he's he's crushed the draft.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way I look at it is, like, I don't – you get into a trust rhythm with certain GMs. And this goes across any sport, right? I think early on, I felt this with Troy Weaver. I have questions now, but, um, you know, you get into a trust questions
1: are fair, by the way, they have like five. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. I know They're, they're all fair now. Ask all the questions about them. But you know, when they, when they traded Hawkinson last year, there were points where everybody was like, what, what are we doing? You know, he was our weapon. He's our high pick. As soon as they immediately basically drafted his replacement, who's better. Immediately in year one, he's a better blocker. He's a better route runner. He's a better receiver. And he's not as much of a hate to say it like a loud mouth. You know, it's one of the reasons Matt Patricia didn't like him. is basically he lied in his interview and said he was this like Patriot way type guy and then grew his hair out and grew a mustache and started doing TikTok videos. And anyways, so going back to the percentage question, because I'm, I'm derailing now Um the players on the field, first of all, I'd say the players on the field have done a lot more than any coach could ask. Right. So coaching is important, but I think that crop, if I can put the crop of draft picks and the, and the young come up guys, um, I would put at least 30% on them. Right. For being able to like, bring it up. These are the young guys that came out of that draft class. Right. And then the veterans, Like, we've gotten veterans now that are making Pro Bowls and that are doing good things that maybe had a couple gap years, right? Um, So, I think those veterans take up as much of that pie as the rookies. So, make that 60. So, what are we at? 60, 70, 85. And the rest goes to MCDC, just Motor City Dan Campbell. Okay. Um, And that's not enough. You can't give him enough credit. But in the question you asked, I
1: was just about to ask, like, what he means to that city and to this organization considering that it was questionable in terms of hiring him, right? Like people, people made the jokes, people had the, you know, a lot of people and, and somebody who I I truly despise on Twitter talking about how he had this privilege of being hired as a coach. And I just like, maybe just give the guy a shot first, like before we we judge, but he's been fantastic. So like, what does he mean to the city right now?
2: Um, So going back to when we were, when we hired him and brought him on, we had a really bad taste in our mouth with Matt Patricia, which I'm sure the Eagles now are trying to figure out how to get that taste out of their mouth. Right. Um, So we really just wanted to, uh, you know, from players coach to the coaches coach back to a player's coach. So that's exactly what we did going from Campbell, um, you know, to uh, Patricia. And and then you got to go back to a player's coach. So you got a guy who was on the own 16 Lions team. You got a guy who had really good experience, both in front of the camera on hard knocks when he became interim coaches and, you know, for the Dolphins back in the day and, and so on with the um, Saints, I believe. And, you know, he's a come up guy, which, again, if you look at it from an outside of the Detroit perspective, you're like, that's an oddball hire. He's got to prove it. But, boy, is he weird. Like, we looked at it as he is exactly what Detroit embodies. He is a guy who was never given anything. And it was really hard, his path, but somehow managed to persevere. You know, was he the best at what he did at the end of the day? Probably not. But what he believes in and what he embodies is truly the city of Detroit. You know, you'd think pickup trucks, you know, machine workers, like manufacturing line, like, you know hard workers, you know, greasy, calloused hands. And that is Dan Campbell. So we knew we got the right personality side. And then it was just like everybody else. We only had one question. Can he coach? Right. Um, so yeah, you can't give him enough credit, you know, and I think the motto this season that he instilled is grit, you know, and, and that guy, I can't think of anybody else that embodies that more than him.
1: Ex New York giant, Dan Campbell. Shout That's out. right. Um, yeah. I, it's a cliche to say that like coaching in the NFL matters that you just have to be a leader of men, but like it, he is that, you know, he may not be you know, Mike McDaniel when it comes to like scheming things up on offense or like a defensive mastermind, but he just seems like he gets the most out of people and he instills confidence in people. And, you know, he goes for it on fourth down. He does trick plays like, you know, fake punts inside his own 35. And sometimes you're just like, well, it's not going to work all the time, but guess what? It does sometimes it's and it, and, and it wins them a game. Like I, I know they got hosed on that call in Dallas on the two point conversion, which, you know, sweet justice, the fact that Dallas ended yeah. up, you know, losing to the Packers and now they had the, the second home playoff game, but like, I love the fact that he was going for it. He was going to win a game, right? I yeah. know they had it; they had a playoff spot sewed up. They had the division sewed up, but he just went for it. And sometimes you just want a guy who's just going to go for it.
2: Yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Nasty, I need Detroit. We did win that game, and and f those refs, man, that was egregious. And you know, we always joke as Lions fans that like after a season they create some rule that has to do with something that happened in a Lions game that screwed us, like. Detroit against the Bears. You know, Calvin catches that amazing touchdown to win the game. Yeah, He puts to, one hand down. through
1: the catch. All the ridiculous. way through to the ground. Yeah. He was oh, palm was in the bad ball.
2: Bad he was yeah. palm in the ball, took two steps back, fell down. And as his butt hit the ground, the momentum forced his yeah. hand to hit the ground, and the ball slipped out. Like, that's – whoo, talking about creating a rule to make up for a bad call. Like, that's what happened. And then you mentioned Dallas this year give me a list of calls that went wrong against Detroit against Dallas. I mean, we had one in the playoffs a couple years ago. Like
1: it's just always bad. Yeah. So. Gough. Talk to me about Goff. Obviously Stafford was a a franchise icon. You know, dark years. He wasn't necessarily done right by the organization. Not that they treated him poorly, but just like yeah. it didn't go great. Right. You bring in Goff, who McVeigh was like, I'm not sure I can win with this guy. And then Goff, you know, takes it and runs with it. Like, how great do you feel for him in terms of this, like, sweet revenge?
2: So good. I mean, it's like beyond so good. First of all, it's it's the hero story everybody loves. So it's not just a Detroit thing. America wanted to see Jared Goff get his revenge. I mean, I love betting revenge games when I'm looking at spreads. I always take that into account, you know, and be like, this guy wants to do his business against this team on this particular night. And, you know, there was no stage bigger in in recent memory for that to occur than the Matt Stafford homecoming and Jared Goff revenge game. And, you know, that game in and of itself was a culmination of Jared Goff's rebirth. You know, he was cast aside, you know, me personally i think anybody we know you know talk about grit you know how do you recover from that you know uh, being the wonder boy taking him to a super bowl and then being cast aside to saying you're not good enough you know to come to a new city a
1: failing city and not just that he's a cat he's a cali guy right yeah. like, you, like you take one look at jared goff you're just like you know cali guy you know supermodel girlfriend not necessarily but- sure gritty is what what we first think of jared goff but he's embodied detroit and he's kind of he's put the city up, not on his back because it's a good team and dan campbell obviously too as well but like he's really embraced the city
2: yeah he's and like, no one's calling and no one's calling him a game manager you know like that's the other key thing here is like you know not to not to boil everything down to simplicity you know simple kind of nomenclature but like when we see guys that aren't exciting, we're like, Oh, he's a game manager. Yeah. Maybe he'll get you to the Super Bowl because he's got a great team around him. But I think people saw that he fell down, was down in the dirt, had dust kicked in his face, got up. I mean, he lost all those games to start that season. Yeah. I mean, I watched I watched video last night of them winning that first game and his embrace with Dan Campbell, you look at it as a fan and you're like, guys, you want a game, relax. You know? But at the same time, you're like, that's how much passion they bleed into every one of these games and, like, to overcome it and get to where they are today and seeing that matchup with Stafford. And, you know, I think if you haven't read this yet in the news, it's great. But I love Detroit fans, and I'm one of them for it. But, like, Jerry Goff said the thing that powered him through made him focus was when he came into the stadium and heard his name being chanted. He said that in the press the next Lions game. That's all you heard from an hour before the game until an hour after the game, probably more. I mean, you just heard his name being chanted and that's all you're going to hear as long as the Lions are playing this year, because like, this is what the fan base wants. They've wanted a team forever to be able to just absorb and dive into. And, and that was awesome.
1: And he's in the perfect spot because not just, you know, coach believes in him have a a really good offensive coordinator who is going to be up for a lot of, you know, head coaching jobs, which it's got to be a little bit worrisome, but no. like, look at the roster around them. Like St. Brown's awesome. Jamison Williams shows flashes. Obviously he's had an interesting start to his career with the, the injury, the, yeah. the, the gambling thing.
2: We're waiting um, for him Jameer to still Gibbs, pop off. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Jameer Gibbs is a stud. Montgomery's a great compliment. You have Laporta like Pinay Sewell's a fantastic tackle. Like, You know, in the scene of Billy Madison, which I'm sure you know, where Adam Sandler's like, stay here as long as you can. Yeah. That is what, you know, I would suggest to Jared Goff if he's listening. I'm sure he's a huge fan of this show. Huge fan. Stay here as long as you can.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, here's one thing. And I'll tell you a little bit. This is a great story. And this is my theory on why we were able to finally make a turnaround um, is Stafford never had a running game his entire tenure with Detroit. I think it was 13 seasons with Detroit. And I know this because we're all crushing all these running records of recent, but the last thousand yard rusher we had, can you guess what Lions rusher that may have been? I, I don't even know where to start. He was married to a Kardashian Reggie Bush.
1: He ran for, he ran for a thousand yards with the lions.
2: Towards the end of his career, he had wow. one year, okay? And, uh, like, I'll just say, like, think about this job at best. Kevin Jones was the biggest rusher before him. Like, terrible names. That was a Matt Millen pick in in 2003 or something, you know? Like, these are just – they never had a running game. Stafford was never able to win because he didn't ever run a running game. If you only are one-sided on offense, you'll never win in this And league. they had bad defenses. And bad defenses. So, compound it. But this year, it's like – you know, Montgomery and Gibbs and, and, you know, look back to last year um, with uh, Williams or yeah, that was his name, right. Who went to the saints.
1: Yeah. led the league in touchdowns.
2: Yeah. He did nothing this year. I mean one touchdown, but I mean that, that's probably just a system thing, but I mean like they quickly replaced him and probably got better at that position, Um, you know, with Montgomery. And then Gibbs was an incredible ad. So like some of these things that I looked at and I'm like, why would they get rid of that guy? I was okay with it because of the Hawkinson move, like going back to that statement where you just trust a guy. It's like, yeah. all right, they're getting rid of him. They'll replace him. Like I've seen it, you know? So let me ask
1: you this, Sunday. What's going to be your routine Sunday? Now, obviously, I can't imagine you're changing it up a lot from – well, I'm, 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 I'm sure you went to the first two games, correct? No, actually, I was in Detroit
2: last week. Uh, I'm sure you saw tickets were record high. Uh, I got three little kids, man. I'm, like, buying clothes and food and not, like, you know sports tickets these <laughs> days. Understood.
1: Understood. So having said it, so, so what's your routine going to be?
2: Right? Like um, what's
1: the uh, – Yeah. Because you have to be in, in the right frame of mind. Now, again, I assume that regardless of what happens Sunday, this is the ultimate, like, as yeah. as us Jews say on Passover, Dayenu. Like, this is the ultimate yeah. Dayenu spot. But, like, yeah, what's the routine? What's so, the – I'll give you a story and an analogy, okay? The
2: story is like last week, Alana, my wife, thankfully, beautiful wife, says to me, hey, what do you want to do with the kids Sunday? And maybe we should go to the Museum of Science and Industry downtown, maybe in the morning. And I said, honey, I can't because of the Lions game. She said, what time's the Lions game start? And I'm like, 7 p.m. And she was like, wait, but this is the morning. And I said, yeah, my mind just won't be there as soon as we get in the car and start heading downtown, I'm I'm going to be too far away from a TV to be safe. <laughs> and I was like, you know, traffic, snow, it's winter in Chicago. But she was like, oh, you're serious. Like, you're not joking. And I'm like, no, no, you want to take the kids? Fine. Leave me with a kid. Like, we'll go grocery shopping. I'm like, I'm not leaving the vicinity of my house. Because when that game starts, I'm going to be glued. And I'm going to have – and I don't invite friends over because too much emotion. They don't need to be you a part of it. You need to watch in
1: seclusion. You're like, you're like me. You – yeah, you can't be around people who are just gonna annoy you because then you can right. like fly off the handle.
2: Yeah, I, I I leave my phone glass facing down and only look at it during commercials. You know, like I'm that's like my during the game ritual. I wanna make sure my food is set up beforehand. I don't want to be scrambling for food before the game starts because you want to be drinking and, and eating. So usually start with some whiskey because it's playoff. So I'm pumped up about that. Uh get a good buzz when it gets scary time. I switch to beer. Um, you know, like they start scoring too much. I'm drinking too much time to switch to beer. Um, and then, uh, get the food in me to get me ready for the second half. I usually do a halftime call with the boys. And then, um, recently we've been doing every touchdown video calls during the game, just kids in arm, everybody's shouting and going crazy. So
1: I do what works. yeah, whatever,
2: just-, just keep it going. You know, that's kind of the ritual for this Sunday.
1: So How confident are you in winning them winning the game Sunday? Uh,
2: So, you know, we're on a wild ride. Like, right, you made the analogy. I don't know what to do with my hands. So I'm at a point now where I'm like, I couldn't even give you a good guess because I've never felt this kind of where we we are. What I can tell you is, like, looking analytically at how we got here and kind of how the Niners faltered last week, you know, they won, but – At times it looked like they weren't going to be winning that game and looking at kind of what the reasons for that was, it was the run game. And we were just talking about that. And I think our chances are great as long as we could run down their throats, just like we did to get us to these playoffs. And that's a combination. It's that one, two punch of Montgomery slamming it up the middle and grinding out yards. And then Gibbs just stretching it out, you know, mixing some passing game and like, that's our recipe. We got to outscore them. That's the key too. We're not going to win because of our defense.
1: The forecast is going to be big. Obviously, you know we saw Purdy struggle in the rain last week. Yeah. Uh, you know the Goff road home splits are not necessarily great, but if the weather's decent, I, I'm not sure that'll be as big of a factor. I mean, I think they could. I think they're live in the game. Like, why not at this point? You know what? Why? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. And if you want
2: to try and find and dig for some why not stats, um, and you'll have to look this up and, and try me on this, but I'm pretty sure during his tenure with the Rams, Goff had the Niners number. I'm pretty sure. So I want to look, I'm going to look back at this after this pod, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's hot in my mind. I'm, I'm pretty like 90% certain of that. So I feel good. I do.
1: You should feel good. And, and this, and this is fantastic. And you're coming on the heels of the Michigan Wolverines winning the national title. Like, like this is, this is the best you've ever had it by a long stretch. Let me ask you one last question. I'll let you go on this. Yeah. Um, if they win, are you making arrangements for
2: Vegas? 100,000%. Uh, let's just say arrangements are already in the works just in case. Like, Yes! I've got, I've got stuff. <laughs> I mean, look, my crew's going to San Francisco this week. You know, like I said, I just can't because I'm tied down. I got work, I got kids, I got you know bills to pay. But I did look at tickets, I did look at flights. You know, um, we're, we're trying to get to these games, man. This is once in a lifetime for me, and knowing our history, this may be it for my life.
1: Well, as a Knicks fan who understands what it's like to be downtrodden and tortured, I don't know. I I can commiserate, and I. I love seeing the, the the sheer joy on your face talking about it, and it's fantastic, which is why I wanted to have you on. Ben, this was awesome, bud. I wish you the best of luck on Sunday. I'm pulling for you. I'm already on the Lions plus seven, but I'm pulling for you anyway, and I, I just hope it works out. It'd be awesome to see them in the Super Bowl, and yeah, man, I, you deserve it.
2: Yeah, this is the best my futures bets have ever looked. So. Let's go, man,
1: fantastic. Baby. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Obviously, if they win, we may have to have a a reaction show afterwards so you can gloat about Super Bowl stuff and uh, we'll be in touch. Obviously, I'm assuming you're signing up for fantasy football next year, so we can torture ourselves and we can uh, talk some trash. But it was a pleasure catching up, but we'll speak soon,
2: yeah, man. thanks so much for having me. it's It's awesome to be on your show. and congrats, honestly, this is a long running show, man. This is no small feat, so, Happy to be here and looking forward to coming back if you want to have me.
1: Absolutely. We'll have to have you back. We'll talk about like a, uh, a Thompson in, uh, in March, <laughs> if you want a little bit of a deep cut or maybe some Marcus Sasser's thoughts.
2: Yeah. Uh, you want to go way deep, pull me in for Pistons talk. I mean, that's my team. So unfortunately, love it. Love it. I'll yeah. speak to
1: you soon. Keo. have
2: a good one. Right. Much love.
1: So I'm honored to have who is now a recurring guest a Believe family member, none other than Anthony DiNardo, to talk a little bit about his Miami Heat, made a big trade today. Anthony, what's good, bud? How you doing?
3: I'm feeling good, man, because for the first time in, I believe, 900 days, excuse me, the Heat have made a trade to acquire a player. The last time the Heat made a trade to acquire a player, it was Nemanja Bielitsa, and Uh, Terry Rozier is slightly better than that, so I'm feeling good.
1: So let's let's talk about the trade. Basically, Terry Rozier is a member of Miami Heat for the likes of Kyle Lowry, uh, and a and a protected first round pick. If I'm not mistaken, correct?
3: Yeah, 2027 lottery protected.
1: Got it. Perfect. Yeah. So I mean, on the surface, it's exactly what they need. Even though Terry Rozier isn't necessarily a pure point guard. But you have like Jimmy Butler to do a lot of that initiating offense and Terry can just come in and kind of just do his thing. And he's kind of perfect for what they need, honestly. But, you know, it's interesting with where the Heat are as an organization, right? Because you went from this past summer expecting Damian Lillard. You may have dodged a bullet there. I'm not quite sure I'm ready to go there yet, but a little disappointment there. Then they had a gross start to the year, where I think they were like 1-4 in their first five games. Now they're currently 24-19, uh, good for sixth place in the East at the time of the recording. Jaime Jaquez Jr. has been an absolute godsend for them in terms of a draft pick. And we all knew it was going to happen when they drafted him. We knew he was going to fall to them in the draft. We knew he was going to be good once he got there. But even we didn't think it was going to be this good But now, you know, their big trade for a team that has been acquiring assets to make a trade, you know, Kyle Lowry is expiring and Terry Rozier. So what do you make of where the Heat are right now in the landscape of the Eastern Conference? Uh, Are you sort of disappointed that this was the deal? Or are you more like Terry Rozier is a young guard, dynamic, another ball handler can push us over the top in the Eastern
3: Conference? Well, I mean, first, you talked about dodging a bullet with the whole Dame thing. That, to me, is centered around how great Jaime Hawkins has been because if they would have got Dame, Hawkins would have likely been shifted out. And Hawkins is out. He's missed like a week with a strained groin. They haven't won a game since. So that tells you how critical yeah. he is to It's this a game line. changer. If
1: you hit exactly. a pick in the late teens, that is a game changer
3: for your franchise. And he's... And he was basically untouchable. I would say so as a Heat fan as well, especially since they got another guy, Nikola Jovic, they could dangle off if they want to make another trade. But all those kind of relate because as is, you know, just in general, I like the Terry Ozier trade because at the end of the day, it's an upgrade. You upgraded over Kyle Lowry, who's averaging like two points per game this month, you know. But I do want to preface all the trade talk by saying I don't think they may be done because they do have some other assets that could be made like in Nicole Koliovas to have another tradable first. Maybe Tyler Hero was on the move just because his fit with Terry Rozier in the starting backcourt is obviously a bit awkward. But I do want to say, though, I like the fact that they did make this deal to improve because I want to go all in this season. When you have a guy like Jimmy Butler, who's been to three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals, two out of the last four NBA Finals, I think that means he's worthy of going all in around and not just saying, hey, let's punt on this season. Let's wait until Kyle Lowry's contract expires. Try to get someone with cap space. Jimmy Butler is not a young guy anymore. You know, at 32, 33 years old, you can't keep having these wasted seasons. And if they got to the finals last year without Tyler Hero, he got injured in game one. So now you're adding in Tyler Hero back. You're adding in Terry Rozier. Who's to say that they can't go all the way? Now this trade doesn't make them favorites in my opinion, just because you have a lot of questions in the backcourt defensively, but it's certainly a major upgrade. Uh, and for that reason alone, I, I really like the deal a lot.
1: I think Gary Rozier is, is a solid defender. Like he's passable, you know, he's not a Sib. It's going to be interesting to see where they go with Tyler hero because it uh, you know, Guys of a certain stature, when they sign contracts, they expect to be starters. And I'm not 100% sure you're going to want to start Tyler Hero and Terry Rozier together. You know, will Terry come off the bench? I mean, both guys are going to play a lot of minutes. You know, both guys may close games in certain matchups and, in uh, you know, in certain games where it dictates that that'd be the case. but. I do think they're going to want to stagger them a little bit and which guy, you know, comes off the bench and which guy starts. Cause that's like a pride thing at that point. Right. So that's what I'm curious to see, but in terms of a fit, like, you know, I do think they have way more shot creation now around Jimmy Butler. And you saw it at the end of last year, right. Where even as they're making their run in the playoffs, the offense can get bogged down a little bit, and it's a real slugfest. And I think now Rozier alleviates some of that, where they can open it up a little bit. He's just—he's just more dynamic.
3: Yeah, this is an offensive league, right? You can only win so many games scoring ninety points a night. As a Heat fan, it's like the most frustrating thing. I get it. The. Toughest, meanest, nastiest, hardworking, you know, grit and grind team Hold there on is. one second. But- one second.
1: Before, before you yeah. start with that nonsense, I want got- to make
3: something very clear. Okay? Culture is a real all, thing. What all the got, Heat though? fans,
1: right? Pat Riley said that in reference to the 1993-1994 New New York Knicks before he got there. And you Heat fans, well, also the organization, it's not just the fans, took that as their own mantra, okay? It was built in New York, whatever. Okay, rant over, continue. Sorry, I I, I just want to set
3: the record straight. Alan Houston hits one lucky bounce shot and you think you're stealing heat culture from us. Pat Three Riley, four years. Three it. Three out of four
1: years, from '97 to 2000, we beat you guys in the playoffs. Three out of
3: four years, but anyway. And he brought that culture to Miami, baby. That's why I love him, the Godfather. A lot of Heat fans disrespected him. I would never disrespect the Godfather. But I like. Hold I was on one though, second. he fans
1: disrespect
3: Pat Riley. He's the because greatest mover and shaker in NBA history. I'm with you. But when you go two years without acquiring a player and you see guys like Boston, get all these players and Milwaukee, get Dame, Knicks get on a nobi, they get annoyed. I'm not dumb enough to, I understand it's hard to make trades. I was never one of those ungrateful heat fans, but yes, they were out there. Okay. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Go ahead, no, so. but listen, it's the offensive league, right? You can only win so many games, score 90 points. I'm seeing it with this heat team this year. They're barely breaking hundred some nights. And in today's NBA, When you got team scoring 140 on the regular, that just doesn't cut anymore. But I love the point you brought up earlier about Tyler Hero. Even before they had Rozier, I was part of the the faction of Heat fans that said Tyler should probably be, be coming off the bench. That's become a bit of a polarizing topic among Heat fans. You know, you got the Hero stands that say he should start. He does all this great offensive stuff. And then you got the people like myself that say he doesn't fit great. He's a bit of a chucker. He takes shots away from Jimmy and Bam, who are very efficient. We prefer Duncan Robinson in the starting lineup because his chemistry with Bam is just incredible. So especially now that you have Terry Ozier, another guy that can kind of get shots, is more efficient, and is a better playmaker, averaging like over six and a half assists per game. I would like to see Duncan Robinson in the starting lineup. But like you said, there's a lot of ego and politics involved. Tyler's getting paid a lot of money. And if they they have him coming off the bench, that's not a great look you mentioned that in the regular season um,
1: that teams are scoring 140 points on the regular and, but we've never seen a bigger difference in the NBA between what the regular season looks like and what the playoffs look like. And which is why I don't care what the regular season record looks like. I don't care what the stats look like. I don't care about any of it. To me, they are the most frightening team in the East, where it's just like they're just lingering. They've got the best coach in basketball. They've got a player who's a top 10 player in the league when he plays. And when he when the playoffs come around, he's he's closer to five than he is to 10. And they just know how to win. Playoff games. And I think Rozier, who's had moments in the playoffs like early on in his career with Boston, like he's had big playoff games. Like I think he's he's gonna thrive in this culture.
3: Yeah, uh I see this is why I like you, Aaron. You one of the smart, realistic people because a lot of fans of rivals like Boston and Knicks fans, they'll see their team get bounced by Miami every single year, but will come back the next year doubting them, saying they got no talent and a bunch of undrafted guys. But at the end of the day, who's the last team standing? They cheat. It's, the
1: it's like they lose back Struce, they lose Gabe Vincent. Two guys who played huge minutes for them, and they churn them out like it doesn't matter. And then they yeah. find the gem in the. Those guys were undrafted. They find the gem in the mid late first round, and it's just like these motherfuckers did it again. It, it bothers the hell out of me because I want to hate you guys because of my my history. And last season's playoffs, but I, I I can't help but respect this era of Miami Heat basketball. Well, it's since you awful. were so
3: kind, since since you were so kind to my team and uh, kind enough to have me on your show, I will say that watching Jalen Brunson in the playoffs last year in that second round, I have not seen a player be more dominant against the Heat in a very long time. That guy is a stud, and he's going to carry the New York Knicks for a very long time and if they could put some other pieces around him you got a very nice squad as well
1: so before we before we get into like the you know where the heat stack up in the east just in terms of you said them potentially not being done they have you know some assets like heroes still an asset if they want to dangle but i'm not really sure they want to right now uh, I don't think they want to trade Hockess unless it's for somebody who's really, really a difference maker. But looking at the landscape of the league, like, is that guy out there for them right now?
3: No, the the really the the two guys I guess you could say that is like on every Heat fan's dream list is Donovan Mitchell. The Cavs weren't maybe as great as they had hoped, and then they had the long term injuries with Evan Mobley and Darius Garland missed a lot of time, but they've kind of hung a, a stayed afloat. And Mitchell's still got a couple years left on his contract. So well, yeah, they also won
1: eight games in a row and, and are now far to the up. East. So that, that so, definitely helps.
3: Yeah, any shot of them uh, trading Mitchell a year early is kind of killed at this point. And then it's another similar scenario in Utah with Larry Markkinen. That team was pretty terrible, but they've won seven out of their last 10. They were actually above 500, at least of as of yesterday. And he's on a guy that's on the second to last year of his deal. So if they were going to trade him, theoretically, they could get some more value when he's not an expiring contract, but they're playing so well now and he fits their timeline relatively nice. I think that dream is kind of killed dead too. And I think that's all part of the reason the Heat decided to finally stop hoarding their assets. We saw them hoard assets for uh, James Harden and Giannis and then Kevin Durant, even way back to LaMarcus Aldridge, and they never got any of them. And Heat fans are sitting here with very good teams, but not great teams. So it, it was very nice as a Heat fan to, kind of to finally let them say, hey, we got a nice squad. Let's stop waiting for the whale, and let's go ahead and get some nice smaller pieces that can help us out. It's so funny that you say that because the Knicks are kind of like in that similar boat, right?
1: Like they, they've they got – the differences is, is that the Knicks are more of a regular season team than they are a
3: postseason team, and the Heat have – Julius Randle is. you could Well, yeah. That. Well,
1: he is the Knicks. Like that that's just – you know, it he is the embodiment of this Knicks team. I mean, Jalen Brunson will have something to say about it, but like, you know, I've always said that they're only gonna go as far as Julius Randle is gonna take them, and that is has a ceiling of the second round. Whatever, we're not talking about the Knicks right now. But the Knicks were in, kind of in the same situation where it's just like we have all these assets, all these guys, you know, Giannis was on the radar, Joel Embiid was on the radar, all Donovan Mitchell's on the radar. I mean, and you know, the league shifts from out from under you very fast, right? Where, no, we didn't expect the Sixers to be this good when they lost James Harden, but they're better, right? So is it, unless Embiid Flames out in the playoffs, it looks like he's not going anywhere, you know? Donovan Mitchell still maybe, but who knows? But that is like a little bit iffy with Jalen Brunson, so the Knicks kind of I don't want to say settled on OG and Anobi, but they got a guy who fits the team. And now you know maybe they're able to do something else, but if not, like this is kind of it. And at least they're maximizing whatever they have now. And I think Miami did that with with this trade. Like I, I just wasn't sure anything else was really available to them now. But going forward, like, you know, Lowry was a was a nice piece because this is expiring deal of $30 million, right? You know, what do they have in terms of, of assets to trade that they would be comfortable trading for a guy, you know, like a Donovan Mitchell, even though I'm not necessarily sure he's a, a fit for them at the current moment?
3: Yeah, so... Actually, it's it's funny that you brought up the Knicks because the team that as Heat fans that were always scared about stealing someone from us in the the trade market is the Knicks because it seems like they have a hundred tradable first round picks.
1: Right, but th- but they're going to expire at a certain point, right? If you don't if you don't move them or if you don't use them, like they're going to expire, you know. So like well, it just
3: whatever. Yeah, and and that's kind of been uh, the Heat's model for a while, which is why they basically have no no picks. I mean, you talk about how many assets they have it kind of ends at Tyler Hero, Jovich in a first-round pick. That's kind of where it ends. Doing this Terry Rozier trade essentially takes them out of the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes if they were to occur. Now they could make some other trades to unlock picks with OKC and, and maybe get an additional first. But you're talking to a guy like Donovan Mitchell, two firsts is not enough when you when other teams like the Knicks or the Nets could offer three or four. So I think the dream of getting another whale is dead. But when you got to two out of the last four finals with this core, why not just add some smaller pieces and see if you can win the whole thing? That that's what's really encouraging about this trade. Is that the one thing I would say about the Heat is they
1: probably need a little bit more size. You know, bam, as great as he is, he's 6'9, 6'10. And he's like the only true big guy on the roster. Are they looking, you know, you're plugged into the team. Are they looking at any other big dudes that, you know, could potentially become available? Like, like if you had you know, your your dream pick of a, of a backup center or just somebody to get them a little bit more, you know, beefy up front? Because let's face it, Kevin Love is not necessarily what you want. as like your lone big uh, on the court in a playoff series. Like, who are the Heat looking at?
3: Yeah, so, well, Heat fans are not going to like this. I'd love Hassan Whiteside back, but I could get on a, a ramble on that forever. I know no other Heat fans like him. I'm not sure that they want to do that again. Oh, they never would, but that's just like a personal thing for me. He's always been my guy. But going coming into this season, the two biggest fears that Heat fans had, and I guess annoyances with the front office, is they didn't address the point guard issue. Obviously, they did today, but they also didn't address the starting four position. Last year, we had Caleb Marin as the starting four. He's like 6'4, six, 6'5. Six, He's not a starting power forward. Coming to this off se- or le- this past offseason, they did nothing to address that. And that's the same problems they had last year. Aaron Gordon looked like prime Carl Malone in that finals, just because he was so much bigger than whoever was guarding him. So if there's an answer to fix that, not necessarily out there. There's a couple guys in the bio market. He fans are getting excited about Kelly Olinick might become available, but he's more of an offensive big. He, they, they really need someone who I think could play defense on that side of the ball. Because right now at that four position, you're looking at Kevin Love, who's not a great defender at this stage of his career. You're looking at Hayward Highsmith, who is a very great defender, but he's 6'5 himself. He's more perimeter-oriented. Same with Kayla Martin. You got a couple you need protection for Bam. Yeah, and, and the two backup bigs we got is Thomas Bryant, who they signed to a minimum for a reason, and then Orlando Robinson, who's been in and out of the G League. He's, he's very good in the G League, but still a very raw prospect. So I don't think the answer is out there to fix it mid-season. I think it's just kind of a flaw that they neglected to improve upon in the offseason. That's why even if this Heat team was to get back to the finals, which I think they could, Nikola Jokic, if they meet him, they are screwed. They have no answer for him. Not that any team does, but the Heat have less of an answer than I think other teams might. So
1: confidence meter in terms of potentially getting back to the finals. You have to put it at a scale of 1 to 10. 100%,
3: nope. baby.
1: Ain't no stopping this Heat
3: team. So you think they're go, they're going back? 100%. Let's go down the line. The Milwaukee Bucks, they beat that ass in five games last year. Yeah, they got Dame, but is Dame good enough to win them another three oh, games? Also Giannis no. missed two and a half games because somebody undercut him taking a charge. So that and, makes, they lost, that and they lost the things. games when he came back. That's exactly right. They lost the games he came back. You're looking at the the Philadelphia 76ers. Embiid has yet to show up in the playoff series. That team don't scare me. And then you got the Boston Celtics, who need I remind you was up. The Heat were up 3-0 last year before they decided to take it easy for some reason. Make some things interesting. And then they traded all of their best players to be five deep. What happens come May, come April, when Porzingis finally gets hurt? Now you you got uh, big money to five guys. They only going to have four left. That team does not frighten me either. And just like every year, year after year, the final team that will be standing is the Miami Heat, and they likely gonna lose in four or five to the to the Denver Nuggets. But I'll cross that bridge when we get there. All right, interesting,
1: very nice. Um, before I let you go, I wanted to switch gears to to football. Uh, Miami Dolphins, oh, you hate me. They have not won a playoff game in over twenty years. Um, they had a promising start to the season, didn't beat a lot of really good teams but they also got the injury bug bad. But the big thing is, is what are they going to do with the quarterback? You know, the quarterback led the league in passing, but it seems that regardless for the numbers that he puts up, he's limited in a sense where A, if the the temperature falls below 45 degrees anywhere, he has no chance to win. Statistically has not won a game there. And B, it's just... You know, in a salary cap league, what percentage of the cap are you going to pay to a guy that is good but not an elevator? What would you do if you're the Miami Dolphins front office with Tua? I I, I assume that they're going to pick up the option and kind of just kick the can down the road. Um, what would you do?
3: Well, first off, uh, you kind of alluded to it there earlier. The last time the Miami Dolphins won a playoff game, I was three years old. So Yeah, you don't even remember what it's like. Definitely not. So needless to say, I'm very passionate about at least getting one playoff win. Now, last year was a big year for Tua, right? And he obviously missed a lot of time with the concussions. But when he played, they were awesome and they won. But then they had that game at the end of the year versus Green Bay. He had three second half picks. And I said, you know what? I made my mind up on Tua. He's not the guy. It came out. He played the second half concussed. And I said, okay, I'm going to give him one more year. Well, that was this year. They're playing very well. They're off to a great start. I know they kind of beat it up, all the bad teams, lost to the good teams. But obviously, he's playing very well. But then you go to the end of the season. You have a must-win game versus the Ravens, who you're still fighting for number one seed. They got killed that game. You have a must-win game versus Buffalo to, to win the division. They, not even a chance in that game. You have a game versus Kansas City, and they put up seven points, which was a terrible pass by Tua. That was all Tyreek Hill. So game after game after game in all these big games, there's one constant. It's Tua Tungvaluwa not showing up. Now, he doesn't suck. He's not terrible, but he's average, which is not good enough, especially with all the injuries and stuff they have. And you can't say, oh, if they go into next year healthy, then maybe they have a shot because having an expectation of health is not realistic. Especially when they got a lot of other guys to pay. Christian Wilkins is up for a contract. Andrew Van Ginkle is up for a contract. And unfortunately, they're using half their salary cap to pay pay Bradley Chubb, who sucks. So they're they're in a bit of a salary cap hell problem. And my stance on Tua is why would you worsen that for a guy that you know can't get the job done? People's answer to that is they say, oh, well, because there's nothing else better out there. I don't care. That doesn't mean- Well, okay,
1: so so let me add. So do you think the front office- Believes that he can't get the job done because I'm not sure they do.
3: No, in fact, I don't even think they're going to accept the last year. I think they're going to give him the extension. Chris Greer, the RGM, has already said that they want Tua to be here for the long haul. And I think part of it is because Chris Greer drafted Tua and he doesn't want to be wrong. So I think they will give him the extension and I think it's going to hurt this team for years to come.
1: Well, I mean, you're seeing, you're going to see that with the Eagles, Jalen Hurts. You know he he I think see I think two is better than him uh, because Nick Saban saw that years ago and but Jalen Hurts just got the big deal I mean to me I, I've said this you know on multiple different shows but the the quarterback market is, is so inefficient in a sense where I, I get it's the most important position on the field but there are only like four guys who really elevate a franchise right. And, you know, that that it doesn't matter who's on the team that they're going to win, right? You saw two of them square off against each other this past Sunday. Uh, Lamar has vaulted himself into that tier. And, you know, Joe Burrow's been hurt. And, and even still, you know, there's only one 15 who plays in Kansas City who's better than them all right like he's like still a step and a half above so it's gonna be it's just a contract issue right because if a pie is only so big and you give a percentage of a pie to somebody who isn't necessarily worthy of the percentage of the pie then everything else suffers but at the same time there's nothing else available like they're not going to be you know able to make a deal for a guy in the draft right you have a ready made roster they're kind of they're kind of in a tough spot and yeah. if they, if they can get to at a reasonable number and again i don't think he's going to sign a long term deal i think they're going to do the fifth year option and then see and you know just avoid the decision until they have to but i i
3: just it's fascinating with them well this is the frustrating part for dolphins fans they traded Laramie Tunzel to the Texans, got back a bunch of first round picks that turned into Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell and Bradley Chubb. And all, and you know, a few weeks ago, asked me two months ago, all Dolphins fans are thrilled. Oh, what an amazing trade. The Dolphins robbed uh the uh, Houston. Houston won a playoff game before Miami. Go back to the Tua draft in 2020. Oh, we got the fifth pick. Tua fell to us. Oh, this is so exciting. We get Tua. Jordan Love falls to what? The end of the first round? Jordan Love won a playoff game before Tua tongue of our Valor go to the a couple years ago in the 7th round the dolphins drafted skylar thompson 3 picks later was brock purdy brock purdy's on his way to another nfc championship game every single move they made for the last my entire life really has been wrong and everyone that gets picked after them i can't kill them thompson Tom- i can't kill them for skylar thompson over brock but purdy it's just every it's other everything. team did that it's every little thing, though, that they can't get right. Every little thing, down to the seventh round pick. You get what I'm saying? It's not just the big stuff. It's everything.
1: So if you had it your way, you just move on and just start everything from scratch? Justin Fields will be
3: available. Justin Fields is not better than Tua, though. He's not. Not, not, not right now. He might be. I don't, I don't, why, why invest money in a guy you know you can't win with? You just well, you just setting yourself up for failure. Well, you're gonna have to invest money in Justin Fields also. Sure, but maybe he'll work. Maybe he won't. I'll tell you right now, Tua will not work. At least there's a chance Justin Field can turn into something. You get what I'm saying, though. No? Yeah, but I, I I I think that's taking a step backward. I mean, I think I think unfortunately
1: you, you have to believe that you know it's kind of like why the the Cowboys brought back Mike McCarthy because it works a lot. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I laugh at it too, but like it works a lot until it doesn't work,
3: which is I, in the playoffs, which is in December.
1: Right. So I, if I think if you're the dolphins, you can easily sell yourself that Xavier Howard doesn't get hurt. Right. If, if, if the line is just a little less beat up, if uh, if we have two of our starting defensive ends, just a, a combination of those guys, like we win a game, we're hosting the playoffs as opposed to going on the road, and then it just looks totally
3: different. I don't think that's unreasonable. When it happens every single year, I'll tell you this. I was at the Tennessee game where they were up by 14 with three minutes to go. Uh, excuse me. And they blew the game. After that game, a lot of fans, if they were new or not Dolphins fans, might have said, oh, not a big deal. It's just one loss. Every Dolphins fan that has been a Dolphin fan for a while in that or in that stadium said this is the start of the collapse. And sure enough, that was the start of the collapse. The one winning team they beat this year was the Dallas Cowboys, who were bigger frauds than them. So what does that tell you? It, it's the repetitive Every single season ending in the same way with embarrassing collapse that has given us no hope that anything will change. Well,
1: at least you live in a city where it's nice weather 85% of the year that you can be outside all year long for the most part, except for, you know, your random hurricane weeks here or there, and that you don't really have to care about sports. So it's great. It's fine.
3: Well, and Mm -hmm. the last time my basketball team won a championship wasn't in the 70s, so
1: that 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 seemed unnecessary. Anyway, with that uh it's uh good to talk to you again Anthony. I I'm I'm very bullish on your basketball team. I uh, I think this was a really nice trade and I said it last episode on my show that even before they made the trade I think the Miami Heat were the the the, the sleeper, not even so much a sleeper team in the east, but like the most dangerous team that's laying in the weeds and Nothing has changed, in fact, that's gotten a little bit stronger. So I guess I, I do wish you the worst of luck considering the Knicks are basically neck and neck with the Heat right now in the standings. But it's always good to talk to you, and we'll uh, we'll speak again soon. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. It was a good time. Thanks again to first-time guests and hopefully recurring guests, Ben Berlin talking Detroit Lions football, but ready to bite some kneecaps on Sunday and – for recurring guest Anthony DeNaro, for coming on, talking about the Terry Rozier trade to the Miami Heat. I said it before, I'll say it again. The Miami Heat are the most interesting team in the Eastern Conference. That's episode 244,
0: The Love of the Game, a packed episode. Take us out. Coming Great. from the six side, I'm not know to this. we make it on this side. I'm not know to this. I'm not know. I'm not know. Yeah, I know you heard things. Nobody really likes us except for us, yeah All I ever needed was a squad, so that's what's up, yeah My sound got the whole city away right now, yeah So I don't give a about what anybody's saying right now